Hi, this is Zoe, and this is the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. I'm a Canadian-Australian who loves to work with CEOs and their teams on their people stuff, the tough stuff and the joyful stuff in leadership. One of the CEOs I've had the pleasure of working with is Sharon Tuffin, the CEO of Carolica. And I met Sharon a few years ago when she joined my Leaders Edge Mastermind program, where we went off to the Lara Pinta and did a four-day trek. And then we came back and we spent a year in intensive study on the different aspects of high-level leadership. And I got to know her quite well. And her journey is quite extraordinary in terms of her development and particularly her development around self-awareness. And as you'll see in this interview, her thinking and her embodiment of the things that she learned is quite deep and powerful. So she is very distilled. I was debriefing with her after the interview and saying her thinking is she has distilled and it comes down to a nugget, but it's not like this is the nugget of truth that I'm going to hold on to forever. It's like, this is the nugget that I'm playing with right now. And I know there's more for me to learn and grow. So I'm going to play lightly with this. And it also serves. So this conversation was deep and rich. Um, a little bit about Sharon's background. She has had a very diverse one across government, the private sector and the community sector. She spent, she's been at Carolica for nine years, five years of which as CEO. And uh, she spent a lifetime figuring out how to be of service and, and contribute to a cause that's worth being part of. Carolica itself is for drug and alcohol rehabilitation for people in the community, a specialty service, I guess, that supports the adults and their families and young people going through drug and alcohol rehab. Great story, great insights. I'm sure you're going to absolutely love it. And if you do, feel free to share. Just print forward on your device and share this to your socials or share it with a mate. All right, let's do it. Sharon, I am so excited to talk to you today. It's been a while and I'm really intrigued and excited to dive into the ins and outs of your leadership journey. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Sonny. Now, you've been CEO of Carolica for how many years now? Five years now, and before that, four years as services director. So I've been with the organization for nine, almost 10. Nine years. Okay. So that transition from being service director to CEO, did you have a good idea what you were getting into, into the role, or was it a, a, was a surprise? It was a really big surprise. I think I'd always felt comfortable being in the engine room and driving and delivering against someone else's vision and contributing to that vision for the organisation. But I guess sitting in the CEO role, it really made me start to think what I was there for, what did I bring, what did I need from others, how could we make this work? And I felt excited but also a bit daunted because that was my first CEO appointment. So, like, tell me about that first week when you were in the job. Did you go, holy cow, this is much bigger than I thought? Uh, it was probably the first six months, I think. It took me <laughs> quite a while to really feel comfortable in knowing exactly what I needed to do. In that first week, you were still doing business as usual, and I knew that that wasn't exactly what I was there for. Things needed to continue. But I think over the first month, it was a bit more of, okay, someone else is doing this work now, not me, and to really step away from the job that I was doing and start to think about my role as CEO. I'd always been part of executive-level conversations and working with the board, but this now sat with me and really trying to come to terms with and understand what value I could bring to the organization and the work we do for clients. How hard was it to let go of your service director role and let somebody else do that? It is really hard. And I think I've said it 
to many people in, in past organisations and this one when they've been promoted from within, how hard it is. But it wasn't until I went through that that I realised how there, there was a grieving process in some respects of the loss of what I did know and making sure that I didn't dive in where I wasn't needed. Someone else needed to have free reign to get on with that role. But for me then thinking about the unknown for myself in the new role, what did I need to do and having a little bit of that vulnerability and showing some of that, that I had an excellent tribe of supporters and people who were there for me and mentors to really help have those conversations to say, you know, today, I'm not really sure what I'm doing or next week what I'm doing. And that was okay. Where did you feel like um, your biggest strength was moving into the role? Like, so the first six months you took stock of what you could bring to the role. What, what did you discover was a key strength? I think knowing the organisation, I'd previously sat on the board for a couple of years before loving what the organisation did so much and jumping into the operations and then spending those few years and knowing the business, that was that was the strength. The challenge was not to be limited by that and actually to think about more strategic matters and thinking about where we could take the organisation. So I think there was a strength in that, but it also had the potential to be a limitation by being stuck in the the what I did do and what we did as an organisation and not thinking further ahead you know, and setting some of that vision along with the board and the other members of the team. Getting that outside perspective is pretty critical as a CEO. So having risen from the ranks then, how did you go about getting that extra angle, extra view on what was possible? I think I've always taken the approach that you know, answers come from everywhere and leadership comes from everywhere and ideas come from everywhere. I just needed to learn more how to harness some of that and also to inspire others to, to bring those views forward and how I then facilitated some of that. As a fairly introverted sort of a person, I think that was my own struggle about getting out and about but it came down to um, the benefit that was going to come from speaking with as many people who had either a passion for what we did, had experienced as service users what we did as an organisation or um, from board and, and other partner agencies to really get different perspectives. And it was about framing the questions correctly to draw out some of that. Wow, that sounds like a big challenge, like framing the questions correctly. So what what is a correctly framed question? <laughs> I think it's... Um, not to be leading and sometimes we can ask questions where we we think we know where we want to head and the sorts of answers even unconsciously the kinds of responses we want how to then frame a question that really drew out someone's either personal perspective experience um, lived experience business experience to really provide that insight that we could then take and draw from and start to apply it to where we were headed as an organization Okay, that's really self-aware and that's great, wonderful. When it comes to leadership, how do you define it? It's a, it's a tricky tricky concept in some ways and also so simple in, in other ways. Leadership for me is being me and showing authentically who you are, what you are about, what your beliefs and core values are and also to try and draw that out in others. It's about setting some of that vision not only your own, but drawing in other insights and, and then being able to take someone or a group of people or an organisation on a journey that gets us to where we're wanting to be. That's a great definition. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Even lead, leadership experts often struggle with that question too. 
When did you discover you could actually do the leadership thing? Um, I think I have always felt that just in the way that I work with people, that there is leadership qualities within that, but probably originally thinking that leadership was about having the answers. And it wasn't until, I guess, moving into this organisation and realising that you didn't need to have all of the answers and perfect information all of the time to produce some really good outcomes and that the journey was just as important as the end goal. And it wasn't until working with you you know, a couple of years ago where I realised I was firmly sitting in the achiever status because that's how I was always rewarded. You're rewarded when you achieve something. In an actual fact, it's the journey along the way and what you bring to that as an individual or as a group of people that is just as important and reflecting on that, that's just as important as whether you can tick a box, achieve a, you know, a quota or um, produce a document or, or whatever the, the space is that you're working within. So I think in the last couple of years, it's very much that's been really helpful for me in, in thinking about what strengths I have and where I need to continue to work. I think that's a lovely insight. And what you talk about there, the shift from achiever into later stages of leadership maturity is a really challenging one. It's not one that all leaders make. And the insight that it's not just about ticking a box, hitting milestones, but helping others grow along the way and go along the way with you is particularly important. And I think there's never been a more important time to explore that idea than uh, as we go through a pandemic. And what I've noticed in the zeitgeist is that leaders are really thinking more and more about their people as opposed to ticking goals because they've worked out with their dispersed workforce how important it is to be with people, whether you're sitting next to them or whether you're engaging with them through the video screen or through a phone and how important those relationships are to the resilience of the business as well as to the individuals and collective. So it's great that you've made that insight before hitting hitting the pandemic. <laughs> it probably served you quite well. Definitely. It absolutely has. And I think that that's the kind of work that I'm constantly doing as part of my own journey is that I think is a benefit to the organisation and to others is that if I know myself, what my own strengths and weaknesses are and where I need to continue to develop, that that not only helps me be a better leader or um, support person or, you know, in family life, work life, general living, but I think that then allows me to think about how others might react in certain circumstances. If I understand that things are challenging for me in, in certain ways, others are likely to have the same thing. It's not about having the right answer or getting the right answer. It's actually about how we can all do that together in a way that is um, rewarding and fulfilling and, and positive for the, particularly for us, for the clients that we're supporting. I think that's a really difficult thing to come to is that not needing to have all the answers and being okay with a level of uncertainty and ambiguity. Is that sitting easier with you now or is it still pretty hard? I think there's always a, a preference for having all of the information, but my uncomfortability with not having perfect information is getting much better. I think we all need to make good decisions based on the information that we have checking and rechecking our assumptions, finding out where else we might get sources of information and doing an assessment of, of risk uh, and then being clear about how you've come to a, a decision about something, particularly in a pandemic, how you're making decisions at the time based on what information 
being clear that that might change tomorrow as new information comes to hand. But it's it's all in that communication and being real about what you know, what you don't yet know, when you will find out and how you're going to share that with people who are depending on you for guidance or support or encouragement or for the ultimate decision making that might happen at a at a CEO level on a certain certain matter. What have you found the hardest thing in your job as CEO? Um, I think for me, being a bit of a planner and a structured person, stepping outside of that and I guess encouraging others to come forward with information and ideas and not having already considered all of the options and have a firm fixed mindset about something, really genuinely being open to hearing all of the views and changing your perspective and being honest about changing a perspective or when you've not got it right, being um, open and honest about that as well. I don't think that's just for CEOs. I think that's for anyone in the workplace to be able to have that authenticity and that it's okay to make mistakes and to admit those. It's that accountability and that honesty I think is really really important it's the expectations that you think others have of you in a ceo role that i think is can be challenging so just on that what kinds of expectations do you think people have of the ceo well i think my past experience would have been in my early careers that uh, people sitting in the, the corner office or elsewhere did have all of the answers and that was my early learnings and i wonder whether staff think that now that shouldn't make mistakes or that you should have all of the right answers and then i think the flip side of that also is an expectation that ceos and other execs will seek out and hear and act on views of others and sometimes that's possible and sometimes it's not it comes back to the communication piece that's really important all the way through to be clear about what your process has been for making certain decisions or not making decisions as the case may be and um, how you move forward with that and how people can have that sense of contribution and belonging and safety to um, put their views forward or to have difficult conversations, all of those things. I think they're the expectations that I have of execs and I think staff have that of me as well. I think it's a difficult thing to encourage people to come forward and share their ideas and not be afraid of failure. I think it's an easy thing to say and... I think to do that successfully comes down to the tone, the role modeling that the CEO does and the culture of the place. How much have you focused on establishing and maintaining culture in the in the workplace? We've spent a lot of time through lots of different conversations and structures and mechanisms within the organization. Over the last nine years that I've been with the organization, we've had a number of significant challenges as as a business, as has the community sector as a whole. We did undertake quite a bit of work probably four years ago around our own culture. We started off with a structural process to ensure that we had voices, all voices across all different programs and across different levels in strategic discussions and decision-making. Previously, there was a view and a feeling that um, only those who had certain titles were responsible for and had the capacity to make decisions. Now we have consumer representatives on an advisory body. We have staff from all levels participating in different 
forums to bring ideas forward and to really close the gap between operations and strategy, that everything that we did day to day fitted into where we were heading as an organisation and that everyone played a part. And I think that the test has been in the staff survey, satisfaction survey results. It's a never ending journey. It's a really important piece that needs to continue all the way along. But I think we're, we're on the right track. I love that you point out the fact that you don't just do a survey and you're done. <laughs> And you implement a, you know, an advisory body and so on. It's that it's a constant discipline to pay attention to it. But people stuff is often the thing that leaders find challenging. What do you find challenging about people stuff, if anything? There are always challenges when it comes to working with people and and just being human. We all have good days and bad days, things that are easy for us and things that are challenging. It's actually about the respect and the understanding that we're more than the person that we are at work. We have lives, lots of happy times, sad times, struggles, those sorts of things. And to be kind in that way, sometimes we get hung up on process, sometimes we get hung up on delegations and those sorts of things. But if we'd come down to the basics of it, we're people trying to do the best job that we possibly can and be the best versions of ourselves and sometimes we need more encouragement sometimes we might need more direction sometimes we might need to be challenged and also to admit when we've not got it right and then do something about it it's not enough to say i'm sorry or i made a mistake it's actually then being conscious to work work forward to um, do things differently do things better and constantly learn and grow You've mentioned this a couple of times that you feel it's important to be transparent and open about failures. Can you tell us about a failure that you experienced and what you learned from it? Oh, that's uh, that's challenging to think about something that is easily articulated. I think probably it's more of a theme that goes along rather than a particular instance. Mistakes for me. come in multiple ways things that i think are understandable and can be accepted are when you're trying something new and we're giving something a go we're introducing a change that um, we think the outcomes are going to be an improvement say in efficiency last year we introduced a new payroll system the goal of it was going to make things simpler for everybody staff managers payroll and um, For a while, I thought that it was the wrong decision to make because like any change, it can be more complicated. People need to get used to it. Systems weren't quite right. I don't know that it was a mistake to have done it at all, but there were certain learnings from that around change management that we've learnt in subsequent systems changes. When someone makes a mistake and consistently makes the same mistake or avoids non-compliance with policy and those sorts of things I think you have less understanding about that and you know we need to move into a different different type of response if it's genuinely about trying something new they're not really mistakes they're just learning opportunities and we should see them as such that sounds all very sensible (laughs) (laughs) what preoccupies you like as a CEO what keeps you up at night I think for us as a, a people and values-based organisation, 
It's actually doing what we say we do, living our values and the focus of what we, we're here for, the purpose of why we are here. And what keeps me awake about that is making sure that I and the members of my team are providing our staff with everything that they need to be able to do the work that they do so passionately for the clients, the adults and, and families who come to our programs. So I think, again, it's a bit like um, a marathon. You, you never, well, marathon, you, you finish, you, you cross the finish line. But for many of these things, it's an ongoing piece of work. And how can we do things better and reflecting on that? The obvious things that keep any business owner or CEO awake is around funding and financial stability and those sorts of things. But in the end, you can have financial security and deliver poor outcomes if you're not supporting your staff. And so for me, that's about, that's the focus for us is how we can provide the tools, the strategies, the support so that they can do their work. That's beautiful. What do you enjoy most about the job? Again, I think it's the clear link between why we're here, why we exist as an organisation and my own personal values and, um, and beliefs. We do what we say we do. And that's support vulnerable families and having that clear link between why you exist and every every piece of what you do is about improving and supporting people to take control of their own lives and reach their own recovery goals. So that means that any other piece of work that we do within that and having the vision and the the outcomes at the centre gives you that strong sense of alignment and it's rewarding and fulfilling. I'm guessing that your definition of success these days is linked to that idea of are we living our values, are we delivering on what we promised, or do you have another definition of success? No, I think that's right for me. Success is is more about, for us as an organisation, that we are an employer of choice. People are wanting to come and work with us because of what we stand for, how we do our work, um, how we support our staff and, and the people who use our services. So that's certainly one thing. And then it's about supporting people to achieve their own goals, that's supporting our clients to achieve their own recovery goals. There's success in several different in several different ways. I think that's great. I mean that's you're very um other focused. <laughs> <laughs> very other focused. That's not to say that those other success pieces aren't there as running an efficient and effective service and making sure that our funders have confidence in us that what they're purchasing is of high quality. We have legislative and other regulatory, you know, responsibilities. The governing board needs to be confident that what we're doing and the decisions we're making are right in accordance with their strategic vision. But in the end, the reason why we exist is for is for others and we need all of those other structures and tools and mechanisms to work well so that we can do what we're, what we're here to achieve. What got you into drug and alcohol rehab work in the first place? It's, uh, it's an interesting, it wouldn't have been a field that I would have thought I'd work in. But I was very fortunate when I um, was on a year-long masterclass program with a private company that we had a wonderful mentor and coach who had talked about, as leaders, aligning your values and beliefs in all facets of your life, you know, personal life and professional life. And I did enjoy what I did at the time, but it made me start to think about what was meaningful for me. 
and I decided that I wanted to support some not-for-profits and sat on a couple of different community sector boards, one of which was Carolica. And as I said before, I enjoyed and loved so much what the organisation was doing that I wanted to jump across. It was less about drug and alcohol as a field, but more about the purpose of the organisation and, and what it stood for and what it was delivering, that I wanted to actually be part of that. So it was a real heart move for me as opposed to my previous shifts in roles from government to private sector, which was much more of a head decision. It was a right decision at the time for from a very um, analytical perspective. This was much more of that um, values alignment. And it's not until you know, sitting back and reflecting on that that I realised what those, those two different shifts for me were about. And we know that head and heart, they're not mutually exclusive, but it's interesting when I think about what, what was driving me at the time to make those career changes. I love that. Head and heart are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> They'd be surprised. It's very easy to sideline one over the other and very difficult to have them aligned in every aspect of your life as your leadership coach recommended or suggested. The power balance is not, you know, one will be more powerful than another in certain decisions and certain aspects, but yeah, they rarely are not hand in hand in some way, in my perspective anyway. I love that you mentioned perspective, and I'm always curious about people's perspective. Tell me about a time when you've had your point of view or your beliefs completely turned around. What happened and what was the outcome? Um, my, my perspective on things can change quite a lot depending on what's happening at the time, but I think one of the simplest examples of a perspective change was when I had, and it was something that you had said so quite some time ago about me being a fair, I'm a fairly structured kind of a person and my perspective and I thought others' perspectives as well of people who were structured was that they were not creative. And it wasn't until something that you'd said about frameworks and structure actually allows you to be creative within it. It actually just provides you with a, a process or a playground from within which you can be creative so a perspective for me was I felt being a fairly structured and planned person was a negative I mean, in actual fact it comes through in a positive way in other areas but using structure helps you chunk down processes whether it's your communication projects various other things and it gives you a really good opportunity to then review and monitor and change tact so you can actually be quite creative so I suppose that at a very personal level a perspective that's changed for me was structured means non-creative and uh, conservative and potentially rigid to actually just processing information in a different way that helps you plan. And then you can still be creative and move and flex. I love that. I love that <laughs> uh, that, that was a shift for you, that constraints allow creativity. And uh, it's an interesting paradox. You wouldn't think that constraints or structure would allow such freedom and yet any creative will know how difficult it is to start with a blank canvas. But if you put a constraint in there, all of a sudden you've got something to bounce against. And um, I love that you've applied that to your processes as well as your strategy. What are you most proud of? Oh, I had so many things that I'm, so many things that I'm proud of. I'm proud of the work that we do in the organization and the way that particularly through 2020 thus far being such a challenging year how the team has 
pull together around bushfires and then global pandemic, but also you know, remaining so passionate about the work that they do. And as I said before, you know, we're, we're people inside the workplace and outside, I think. The other thing that I'm proud of is to just be able to acknowledge that we can have good days and bad days, but that you're not judged by some of those. Um, well, I'm, I don't feel that I'm judged on every single decision that I make. It's actually about the journey and the way that you do that and way, the way that you present and be present in the workplace or as a member of a family, you know, those sorts of things. It's, um, it's you as a person, not, the little, not each of the little things that you might do. It's how you are and what you bring and how genuine you are. Sharon, I love how deep and resonant your wisdom is. It's a, lovely to hear and to listen to, that's for sure. Thank you. <laughs> I know you're blushing and feeling shy right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me about a resource, if you have one, that you turn to again and again as a leader. It might be a book. It could be a podcast. It could be a template. What is it for you that helps you on your leadership duties? One of the tools that I don't use as often as I should, but each time I dig it out, I realise how, and I'm reminded how good it is as a 90-day planner. So I think as a planner, as a structured person, plans are useful, but I think chunking down from a strategic plan and a longer-term vision, bringing that back into a series of 90-day plans is really positive where probably 10 years ago, and even sometimes now, I would have done lists of tasks, you know, and that's not helpful either. So more in those three things in a week, in a three months, that sort of stuff is a really helpful tool and I do need to, to draw on that more frequently. There are also some really excellent books, leadership books that are challenging me at the moment, but I'm really enjoying them. The um, disruption mindset is really ticking a whole lot of boxes for me in thinking about how I approach things and how I can support others to approach using disruption, which probably for most people would seem to be a negative term but is not, and how positive that can be. And the other book that I'm really enjoying at the moment is Switch. I think all of that speaks to some of those areas that I feel that I need to continue to um, explore further for myself but also for the organisation. I'm glad you're loving both those books, Disruption Mindset by Charlene Lee. We'll put a link in the show notes for folks to the book and also to the podcast that we did with her a little while ago. She's brilliant. I love the book. It's one of my favorites that I've read so far this year. And uh, Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. Also, we'll put a link in the show notes. That's a classic change management text. So I'm, I'm very pleased you enjoyed those. And on the 90-Day Planner and Fight for Three, that's a hat tip to Peter Cook and his book, The New Rules of Management, uh, which I will also link to in the show notes. And Pete's got some amazing practical get stuff done advice. He's the implementation king. So, And I think the 90-Day Planner, like it's long enough to feel like you can get traction on big projects, but not too long that things fall off the off the radar because it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that. It's like when you break you down your plan into 12 weeks, it's kind of distinct things that you can chug away at each week. So that's great. I'm glad that you like those. So one last question. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Mm. Um, for me, I think it has been about 
your tribe and having a group of people who around you who you can go to bounce ideas off, get support from, um, be challenged by. And, and I think they're thinking about that and spending time on that and investing in that is good for you individually but also the collective as well and what that looks like and bringing bringing different ideas but continuing to learn I guess is the other best piece of advice that I've received and that I try and share with others is it's worth investing in yourself and in your own learning because things change situations change your skills and experience change and you need to continue to invest that time to be the best that you can be for yourself and for others. I love that. Yeah. Leaders are learners. And I think that's true. A couple other quotes. One from Charlene Lee is that an organization can go and only go as fast as its slowest leader. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, wow, okay. And if ever there was an imperative to hurry up and learn more so you can go faster, it's, it's that notion is that if we're not learning and growing, we're holding the whole organization back. And that's particularly true if you're the boss, you're the CEO, the MD, the head of your team. So that's really great insight. So just on the tribe piece, how did you go about finding a tribe and how does it actually work for you? So I'm part of a few different leadership groups and forums, CEO forums and others, but I think it's about recognising who's in your circle now and thinking about who can provide support and where you can do the same for others. It wasn't a list of I need one of this and one of that and let's go forward and, and tick that off. It was just growing over time and where could I tap into either like-minded people, people that I um, admire and, and were inspired by, and then thinking about making sure that I wasn't only engaging with people who had the same mindset that actually needed to have different skills and experiences that I could then learn from. And so through your masterclass program and through other forums that I'm part of, I could really get to see a wide variety of styles and approaches and experiences, people working in different sectors. But the common issue for all of us in those groups was that we were trying to be the best that we could be. And that meant that we were able to feel comfortable sharing our um, strengths and our challenges and then learn from each other and that's been really excellent for my own personal development and hopefully for others as well in the groups that I'm part of. Fantastic. That's fantastic. You've shared such deep and important concepts and practices for uh, for leaders and I'm deeply grateful for that Sharon. It's been such a joy having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks Zoe. I love talking to Sharon. She is such a wise soul, a deeply feeling soul, and a powerful leader for her humility. It was a pleasure and a privilege to spend time with her. Two of the things that are sticking with me at the moment is the realization of just how damn hard it is to create a culture where people feel safe to share, where they feel safe to be challenged and to challenged, safe to share their ideas and speak up, and safe to fail. And full credit to Sharon that she's recognized that this is a core essential of leadership and her duty as a CEO to ensure that the systems and process and protocols and habits they have as a team can facilitate that. And it's hard work. It's ongoing work. And it just takes a lot of effort and focus and energy and full credit to her. I think the second one was one of the things she said near the end is how important it is to have a tribe around you of people who have like minds but different experiences. Because that richness of perspective, that diversity of perspective, 
is really powerful to help us have new insights and new lessons that we can apply to our leadership service that we're undertaking. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you did, please share. Uh, it would be awesome to grow the leadership and readership of like-minded folks like you. In the meantime, live well, lead well.